welcome back to Redirected, a show where we sit down with celebrities, athletes, and entrepreneurs to hear about their career pivots and how they deal with life's unexpected events. My name is Andrew East. I am an engineer turned professional athlete turned entrepreneur, and I am excited to bring to you today's episode with Manal Rostam. If you remember last week, we sat down with Scott Jurek, who is an ultramarathon running legend. And it was a part of the live Boston Marathon Expo series brought to you by Cliff Bar. And I'm happy to say that we continue that series today with Manal Rostam, who is a marathon runner, mountaineer, and running coach. And she is also the global face of the Nike Pro Hijab campaign. She is also perhaps best known for creating a private Facebook group called Surviving Hijab, which I will let her explain her vision and purpose for. I want to thank Manal for taking the time to sit down with me. I want to thank Cliff Bar for making this interview happen. And I also want to thank Himalaya, which is my favorite app to listen to podcasts on. If you guys want to find out more about Manal and her group, I will include links to that down below. I hope you guys enjoy this one with Manal Rostam. All right, everybody, we are back here live at the Boston Marathon Expo. The Cliff Bar booth, and I am sitting here with the legend, Manal Rostam. You're the legend. Thank you so much, Andrew, for having me. Thank Thanks you. for being here. Thank Thanks you. for being here. I want to start. How did you get into running? So I've been running pretty much all my life. Um, started to take it seriously when I was 13. Um, I'm 39 years old now. So I joined the track and field team, um, you know, as like a serious runner back in high school. You know, like I was, and it was like one of the happiest days of my life, you know, when they picked me um, to start like joining all the track and field events and like the cross country races. Um, and then I did it throughout high school, 100 meters, 400 meters, and relays. Um, and then I just like took it into university, uh, nothing really serious. And then after university, um, I just developed into like a, more of like a passion slash habit. And then to get over all the boys who like have been breaking my heart, you know, so you just run, wow. run, run to get over like a, like a bad heartbreak uh, or whatnot. We're getting personal here. All yeah, right. So. All right, Manal. Love that. You grew up in Egypt. I grew up in Kuwait. I was born and okay. raised in Kuwait. My gotcha. parents are Egyptian. Gotcha. Um, I grew up in an international British school. And I'm what they call like a third culture kid. So, yeah. So, you know, we're like part international, part Egyptian, part Kuwaiti. But my passport is Egyptian. Wow. Fancy. Um, for the, I'm really excited for this interview. I feel like it's just Thank going to be Manal just taking the show, <laughs> stealing, the, stealing the show. Um, Thank you. We're here at the Boston Marathon, and this is the first time you've ran this. Is that right? Yes. First okay. time in Boston. Okay. And it's obviously the first time that I run Boston, which is, like, very special for me. Yesterday when I picked up my bib, I started crying, something that I've never done in my life before. Um, this is my fourth major marathon, and it was very, very emotional. Very emotional. So what... There's six major marathons. Correct. Which of the other six have you done? So I've done New York. I ran with the Back on My Feet. Uh, it's, a, it's a charity organization that helps people literally get back on their feet via running. And then I did, my second major was Berlin. It was last September. And then I did something crazy by running Chicago only three weeks after. Wow. Um, and then now I only have three more. So All I'm right. planning, like, I, I'm dying to be the first Egyptian to finish it. Because, you know, when you go out there... And then you see all the countries, there is no Egypt. So it's like, I want to put Egypt on the map, literally. You're doing it on Monday. Inshallah, yes. 
Let's go. Dodge willing, yes. So I did see that you ran, one of the marathons you ran was the Great Wall Marathon or the China Marathon? Great Wall of China. The Great Marathon. Wall of China Marathon. How was that? Because Sean went when she was in the Olympics mm. to the Great Wall, and she, she just only talked about the steps. Okay. So I can't imagine running 26.2 miles. What was that like? So look, like, this is something that's been on my mind forever, but then every time I tell people, like, I want to go run in China, like, I want to go run the Great Wall um, of China, people think I'm crazy. But then I met this Chinese boy one time when I was in um, holidays in the Maldives, and he's like, no, you should come, it's amazing. So I signed up in secret, and then I told my parents, look, I'm just going to China to run the Great Wall of um, China Marathon. And then once you get there, you know, they take you on a tour to check out, like, the course or whatnot. And then you realize it's not a proper marathon, it's like an adventure race, you know, because about 25 or 26 kilometers is outside in the city, but then you have, like, a big block of the race on the steps. So you can't run, obviously, on the steps, gotcha. but you're taking, like, big steps up. So I cried, I fell, I bled. Um, I obviously sweated a lot, but it was, it was worth every second. I finished in six hours and 24 minutes. Yeah, the cutoff time is like eight hours. Uh, I just wanted to finish, honestly. So it was great, amazing. Third, uh, third, it's the third Sunday, I think, of every May. Okay. Yeah, yeah third Sunday of every May. You're, you're saying that as if maybe, maybe you're Probably. trying to persuade me to do it. I'm not you sure I'm there. You should do it. You should do it. This you is should my, do it. Thank you. Well, maybe. Someday. Maybe. This is my first marathon. Okay. Curious. Scott Jurek dropped some tips, dropped some hints on what I should do. Do you have any tips? Have you heard of the wall? What do you know about the wall? You I hear. I hear you hit the wall at some right. point. Right. Do you know what the wall is, or uh, do you just, or are you just expecting a wall to drop at some point? I'm hoping I don't even see the wall. Maybe I, maybe I don't even confront the wall. Have you is prepared that? for that hitting the wall at all, or I'll tell you what the wall tell is. Tell me. So my first marathon when um, was Dubai actually in 2013 it was, and people were saying you know you you know watch out for the wall, prepare for the wall and. You're like, I'm, I'm not scared of the wall. What is the wall? There are no walls. But then the wall is like when you reach a mental block and it normally happens around the 32nd kilometer or the 30th kilometer of your run. And it's where you are just questioning, what are you doing? Everything is in severe pain. Um, and Dubai is obviously extremely hot and you just want to like, you know, strip out of like, your clothes and you don't get it, you're confused, you just want to walk out of the race. And that's when you need to go past the wall, switch on a positive mental attitude, and just do it. So sometimes people hit the wall at like, um, I don't know, like the 20th kilometer. The second mile, maybe. Probably, no, you know, kidding, it just kidding. depends. Um, you, mu you must have like a, do you run with music? Are you going to run with music? You tell me. I'm, I'm curious. I don't 100%. want to. A hundred percent. Yes? A hundred percent. Because music keeps you going. Like, I don't know. All right. Music. A hundred percent. Good tracks. Even, like, if, if, you, if you enjoy listening to, like, certain podcasts, put those on. You know, just make sure that you have a playlist that keeps you going for as long as you're expected to finish that reason. So, for example, my um, playlist normally lasts me for four hours, 30 um, or four hours, 20, something like that. I really plan it like that, you know? And then the first 10 tracks are actually a bit slower than the second, you know, like uh, chunk of tracks. Yeah. And then the last 10K is just like super trance. 
So it's just like boom, 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 you know? Super trance? Super trance. Okay. I'm That's curious. like super fast. Yeah, okay. You know? just, just, just like that. You're just like, you know, finishing. I'm curious so. to see what your playlist is. Yeah. Uh, Justin Bieber. It has a lot of Justin all Bieber. All right. So. Taylor Swift, yes or no? Uh, I listen to Taylor Swift, but on this playlist, no. Not, okay. Because it's just a bit slow, so. All right. So your training for the Boston Marathon has been a little different. Actually, my understanding is you've taken 12 weeks off of Correct. running. Is that right? Yeah. Why is that? So last June 2018, uh, I got a foot injury at the back of my heel, and it was diagnosed as bursitis. And then I took a cortisone injection. Doctor said to take three weeks off and to come back. Came back after three weeks. I was, I was fine. Like the pain had like subsided. Started running again. Three weeks later, the pain was like sharper than it had started. So I took something called a PRP injection, which is yeah. like platelet-rich um, plasma injection. Yeah. So they take out your blood and then they, they only concentrate the platelets to promote healing. So then I was off for another three weeks, but during those three weeks, I was climbing Mont Blanc and it was severely painful. You're Do you know climbing Mont Blanc? what? Do you know Mont Blanc? What? What so it's the highest mountain in the Alps. Okay. Yeah. All so right. do you guys know France? Like, do you? No, I, yeah. just, I, I think we can pronounce it Mont Blanc. Mont Blanc. Okay. I'm, I'm pronouncing it the French way. I like that. All right. So Mont Blanc. Um, and then I came down and my foot was okay. Ran Berlin was okay. Then Chicago. Went in for like a checkup and then he said, okay, you need to be off running because it's like your Achilles is like 30% damaged and you just need to take time off. Took another injection, took time off. Um, just started physio religiously, but I was never off training. So I was religiously cross training and I have all my videos to prove that, you know? Okay. So I was doing loads of Barry's boot camp, um, you know, like Woo. double floor. Yeah. Um, I was doing loads of spinning, like, you know, indoor spinning, uh, indoor cycling, outdoor cycling, loads of hits. And then I resumed again um, running in February. So my doctor said, look, you're going to be fine. Don't aim for like a PR or anything. You're going to rely on muscle memory. And when he said that, I was like, I trust you. You got this. Yeah. All muscle right. memory. I love that. So I was like, yeah, my muscles will remember. But you've also just got acclimatized to Everest. You're coming back from an Everest base camp trip. Base camp trip. Yes. Can you tell us about why you went to Everest and how that experience was? So I had a Bostonian here with me. Uh, she was like one member of the team, uh, Emily. And we were basically a team of 14 women. We were climbing for a cause. The cause is to do with the hijab. And you said that I'm the first hijabi girl that you talked to. I whoop, think. Whoop. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's like such an honor. Um, so I run a community on Facebook called Surviving Hijab, which basically aims to empower women who cover yet still want to go about their lives doing everything they want without discrimination or without people judging them or without people calling them oppressed. You know, all these things that we hear from media, but it's not true. You know, hijabi women are not impressed. Society is, is what causes this oppression, not the hijab. Hmm. So my community has about 600,000 women on Facebook. 640,000, don't? Correct. Don't Six, sell yourself short. Correct. Um, and it's a closed community for women only. You don't have to be Muslim to be on it. You don't have to be a covered female, but you have to be a female because we want to keep the privacy of the women. So we won an award by Facebook uh, last year by Mark Zuckerberg as um, Facebook Community Leadership Award because it was recognized as one of the biggest and it's not a public group and it's not for both men and women. 
So I had to submit a list of projects to empower my community. Um, my first project was to run the Surviving Hijab Everest Base Camp trip. Like, look, in my head, I, I just wanted to do something crazy to attract the world's attention about the hijabi woman. And in the trip, it wasn't only going to be hijabi women. I wanted other cultures and nationalities, covered and uncovered, Muslim and non-Muslim, to be on the trip just to give a message of um, inclusivity, peace, love, kindness, tolerance, and equality for all, for all women. We sweat the same, we have the same ambitions. We don't choose at the end of the day our color, race, or religion. You know, we're born into a certain culture and, and, and that's who we are. You didn't pick your name, you didn't pick to be American, I didn't pick to be Egyptian, I didn't pick, you know, yeah, maybe I picked to, to cover, but my parents are Muslim and, and that's how I followed into it. So, yeah, and we just came back on the 31st of March. It was a two-week trip, 100% um, success. All the girls made it. We had a 17-year-old um, wow. who actually uh, came with us. She's the youngest Egyptian to attempt base camp. Wow, yeah. successful trip it sounds like. 100% success. You yes. still got those red blood cells pumping through your vein after I'm altitude? hoping that it is actually gonna serve me after tomorrow. So that's what everybody's saying. You know, I'm still acclimatized. My, you know, blood cells are like pumped up. So let's see. I saw a video of you landing in an airstrip in Nepal, I believe. The, Lukla, the most, Lukla Airport. The most dangerous airstrip in the world? Yes. How was that? So basically the plane is very small. It's tiny. And you literally land and it's, it's if, if the pilot is not, you know, switched on, there's a cliff and you literally just like go over the cliff. So it's very bumpy. You know, you just slam into the runway and then he needs to break very quickly so that you're not like off a cliff because you're, you're literally landing in, on a mountain. Mm -hmm. So the hijab is a big part of your story and you actually became recently, I believe, the global face of the Nike Pro hijab. hijab. Mm -hmm. um, tell us about that partnership and why you're excited about it. So when I founded Surviving Hijab um, in August 2014, a lot of people don't know this, but I'm, I'm actually starting to be very open about it. And it came from a place of desperation. I was going to remove my hijab due to society's restrictions. And I mean, believe this or not, but there are some places in the Middle East even, you know, Muslim Arab countries that do not allow the entry of hijab just because it's still perceived as uncool or unhygienic. Yeah. So for me, I either had to go with the flow and literally succumb to society or you know put my foot down and do something about it so i decided to create a platform for women to come in and share you know their atmospheres concerns doubts and insecurities even um, when the group started to explode like exponentially i started to feel like i'm empowered you know to have a voice and to even contact brands you know to collaborate with I, I don't see anybody, you know, the, I didn't see anybody that looked like me and all the Nike campaigns. And I was a hardcore athlete. Like, I did triathlons. I ran marathons. I climbed mountains. You know, I'm a scuba diver. Yet, everybody looks at me and thinks I'm oppressed or I'm not cool or uneducated. These things still exist in our society. And it makes me sad and it hurts me. You know, as an Arab kid who has a master's degree, who speaks all these languages, who does all these cool things, I hope, um, so I wrote an email to Nike, and it got picked up by the head of um, coaches in the Middle East. Thank God it didn't go to his junk. I, I got lucky, I think. So his name is Thomas Wolf. 
Um, I put in an email, I attached a few photos. I said, this is my platform on Facebook. This is what I do. Why isn't Nike catering for Muslim women? I don't see anybody who looks like me, not in the Middle Eastern campaigns, not in the global campaigns. So we started having a conversation about that. You know, they invited me into the office. Um, a few months later, I became the first ever hijabi model to appear in a campaign. I did not ever dream or think that it would be me. You know, like when I was writing that email, it was just to serve my community. And that's where I feel like, you know, selflessness really might serve you at some point. Um, shortly after, a year later, I received a phone call from the marketing director of Nike, and he said he wanted to show me something that was potentially gonna change my life. And I joked and I said, wow, you're gonna set me up with a guy. And he said, no, it's actually something cooler. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll come. And he took out the Nike Pro Hijab, which Nike had gone off to work on and, and develop and create for all these, to cater for the Muslim athletes. And I was gonna you know, become the, the global face of it. Uh, and that was March 2017 to coincide with the Women's uh, International Day. Wow, yep. that campaign made waves. It I remember did. articles upon articles being written about that. Hats off to you, Thank you. Uh, for, for pushing that and taking the initiative to make that and happen. And hats off to Nike for just doing it, right? Like hey. they were brave to not care about what people were thinking. And if you read the amount of comments that came through and you know, like it still hurts, you know, to see how backward people are. Um, but it's just, if we don't like do something about it, the world will stay the same. And it's only by brave people and, and brave brands and big brands that literally just do it. That's how we change the world. Yeah. So it's been it's been a fun journey for me preparing for this conversation with you. Thank you. I uh, did some research on the hijab. And I didn't know that it was actually banned, it sounds like, in some areas in Germany and France and France. other areas. Mm -hmm. um, talk to me about some of the most common misconceptions that there are around the hijab. Okay, this is my favorite part. Um, look, uh, I grew up in an international school. I used to watch documentaries about, you know, the Middle East from an international perspective, only showcasing women dressed in black, intense, oppressed. They're not allowed to go out. They're not allowed to shake hands with people. Their husbands probably beat them up. Like all this craziness that we see on media, which is so untrue. And I grew up scared of my own culture and of my own religion until I had an accident at 19. Did you know that? Did you research that? I didn't know that. I didn't know that. You so, got me. So it's, it's like it's a personal um, thing, but I went through um, like fatal accident when I was 19. Um, I swapped seats with my cousin five minutes before the accident. He passed away, I survived. And it wasn't, you know, the guilt trip that made me research more about religion, but rather the reason why God chose me you know, to live injury-free, because my, my cousin got paralyzed, first of all, and then he passed away three months later. So that could have been me. Imagine that 19-year-old athlete, you know, being confined to a wheelchair for the rest of her life. Or even, you know, I could have died like Muhammad, um, when he passed away at only 34. So I started doing my own homework, like reading about what it means, why do women cover, why do they look like that? And I started, like, to understand that it's a compulsory form of worship um, that every Muslim woman need to embrace as soon as she hits puberty. My parents never forced me to cover because just like, you know, the, in the Quran, which is like, you know, the Bible for us, you know, it talks about women covering. It also says that they need to have the freedom to do it 
so that it makes sense to them. And it made sense to me when I was 19. And when I went and spoke to my parents about it, they're like, yeah, but you do a lot of sports. We travel abroad a lot. It's going to really restrict you. I'm like, but what do you mean it's going to restrict me? Like, I'm going to find a way. Like, this is, my, I want to do this because I get it. So I remember my dad clearly saying, your friends are going to judge you because most of my friends are foreigners. And he said that I will not be able to run as much as I do because how are you going to run in a hijab? And I'm like, first of all, if these people are going to judge me based on how I like, like to exercise my faith, then why do I want to have these people in my life? And God bless that 19-year-old inside of me who, who, who took that decision and stood up before my dad. And my dad was like, you know what, do whatever, but don't come back and say I made you do it because I did not. So I was scared that people would judge me or think that I'm, I'm not cool or I'm not educated because of what they see on television. You know, like to this day, sometimes foreign men come to me, they're like, can I shake your hands? Um, can I talk to you? And I'm like, yeah, dude, like, let's have a conversation. You know, high five. Um, fine, maybe this guy did not have the opportunity, you know, to mingle with Arab girls like myself, but I feel like the world needs to be educated more about this side of the world. You know, the West is great. We copy you guys in a lot of things. Um, you know, you're so much advanced than most of the developing countries in the Middle East. We got donuts. I know, we have it as well in Dubai. <laughs> but I just feel like, you know, th like there's this beautiful verse in the Quran that says the reason why we're all here is to get to know each other. So I feel like doing this is exactly what the world needs more of, you know? American guy, Egyptian girl, in Boston, we're just like having a conversation. We need to do more of this. Thank you, Cliff, Cliff Bar, for supporting this. But yeah, this is how we change the world so that your perceptions are not limited to thinking that I'm scared of that girl, you know? I, I still get some looks like walking here and you know, like in Europe specifically, I, I feel so uncomfortable because of the way that people sometimes look at me. And, but you know what, they don't know. They don't know because they're, they're scared based on what they see or what they hear. Yeah. What are, what are the challenges from an endurance athlete's perspective of running with a hijab? I'm, heat or...? So this is actually going to be very interesting for you. But in Dubai and in the United Arab Emirates, there are sometimes ladies-only races, believe it or not. Okay? So I've discovered that when I run without a hijab, like in shorts and like, you know, a sleeveless top and, you know, my hair in a ponytail, just like a normal girl, right? I can shave up up to five minutes out of my 5K. So wow. I remember doing wow. a five, yes, yes. Wow. So I'm just thinking, wow, like, you know, people think all these layers are just like, you know, it's okay. They don't give me like credit for the fact that I'm out there, I've showed up, I'm, I'm doing what I want to do, layers or no layers. So it is the heat. And then, you know, people sometimes come up to me, they're like, aren't you hot? And then they start touching me and then start the, touching the layers. I'm like, yeah, but like, I'm, I'm dressing appropriately, so this is dry fit. When I run, it's like always dry fit. The hijab, the Nike Pro hijab is dry fit. You know, and I'm not just here to, you know, market it or like, you know, advertise for it, but it's actually a genius headgear for covered athletes because it literally takes the sweat away and that's what you want. I used to run in something like this, so you feel choked. Imagine, like, halfway into your marathon and you feel like you're gonna die. Like, you know, you just wanna, tear it apart because it's like it chokes you versus something that's dry fit around your head you know that helps you take the sweat away 
um, and just like people's judgment in general. So this is what I really strive to change. Like via my Instagram account, like the Surviving Hijab, our Instagram account, I'm trying to showcase all the women around the world who are doing incredible things. And some of the women are like very private and, and like I contact them, I'm like, the world needs to see what you're doing. Like for example, two days ago we featured a biker, a hijabi biker. She's like a hardcore Harley Davidson, you know, biker. And, and it's amazing. And you know, she's on her, she's on her Harley Davidson. Her hijab is flying. I think she's like super woman. Um, in the Arab Emirates, United Arab Emirates, we have a um, figure skater who is the first covered figure skater to join the Olympics, hopefully, soon. Can you believe that? Like, wow. this is amazing. Wow. Why do you name it Surviving Hijab? So, because, first of all, in 2014, when I founded this, remember, I was saying that I, I wanted to take it off. Yeah. So, there was so much pressure. I was dating, like, an Irish guy. I, like, I was, I felt like I was doing everything wrong. And I felt like on top of everything that I was doing wrong in, in my head, I was also not complying to like society's expectations. And society was even banning me from some places. Like there are some places in Egypt who ban the burkini. Do you know what a burkini is? I have no idea what a burkini is. Oh my is. God. Okay, stop everything. It sounds like something I like though. <laughs> it's, it's not edible. It's, it's not edible. So it's oh. the bikini form. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't eat a burkini. Okay, this is okay, the okay, funniest right. thing. Okay. okay? So basically, a bikini is the is the bikini. You're blushing. Okay. It's like the bikini version of like it's like a swimsuit. Okay. But it's 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 a like head to toe. It looks like a scuba diving like suit. So some places in Egypt and of course in France. In France, it's banned. So if an, if a Muslim woman wants to go to the beach in a bikini, she's not allowed in France. And in Egypt, it's perceived as unhygienic and uncool. So I'm prevented from, you know, entering some places just because I'm perceived as uncool or unhygienic. Who, who makes these rules? So I came this close, like this close, to taking off my hijab after having worn it for 13 years. So before I decided that, no, I was not going to give in to society, I founded Surviving Hijab because I wanted to survive gotcha. it. Gotcha, okay. Gotcha. Of course, a lot of people are like, yeah, but it's not cancer. Like, you're not, why are you surviving it? I'm like, no, but you're surviving society's oppressive traits and all the pressure that society is putting on you, not the hijab, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. It was, it was cool in my research uh, that one, one of the purposes of the hijab is uh, it's like it, to show the connection to your faith. Correct. And then also uh, a challenge that you don't need to show your beauty. It conserves your beauty. Yeah, yeah. Correct. Which is very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I am curious. Last question about this. The How long is my hair? The like, this is the question that don't No, no, up. no. Like the parallels between you as an endurance athlete and you as this force for a social cause, have, they, have you learned anything from your training for marathons? 100%. How, how do those coincide? So look, um, you know, being a marathon runner and a mountaineer, being a runner in general, you don't have to have completed a full marathon, but I feel like running really gives you this strength of mental attitude. You know, I feel like I've solved so many problems on during my 5K runs or 10K runs by just like analyzing, I don't know, maybe it's the endorphins that give you that power of clear thinking and then you reach you know, conclusions that otherwise you wouldn't be able to reach. And I feel like 
you know, a lot of people ask me, like, why do you climb so many mountains? And, you know, why are you trying to, what are you running away from? And you will feel this after tomorrow, but you will feel invincible as soon as you cross that finish line after having gone through so much pain, you know, and, you know, going past the wall and crying and like sweating and, 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 and even like bleeding, like it, it really charges you up with such mental strength that gives you the power, you know, to, to be the strong person that you want to be. And perhaps that's exactly why I continue to climb those mountains. I continue to run those marathons. Like I was just thinking what's going to happen to me after the six majors. Like, what, like I need to find something, you know, to like keep going. Um, but yeah, but I think 100%. For example, mountaineering, you know, when you're going, it's cold, there's no oxygen, you can't breathe properly, um, you're literally going against gravity, and it's so steep, you're about to die. But then once you reach the top, it's like, you, it's like a revelation of who you are or what you're meant to do in your life as a person, like your purpose, all of a sudden, the fog is lifted. You will feel this after tomorrow. I know you're amazing like in what you do, but running is going to take you to the next level. Wow. That was poetic. That gets me pumped up. Um, okay, so you've climbed Kilimanjaro, mm -hmm. just got back from Everest Base Camp. Uh, you're going to have run four of the six major marathons. After Boston. After oh. Boston. What are you most proud of? At the moment, like right now? Yeah, it doesn't even have to be <laughs> athletic related. Um, I'm very proud of surviving hijab, to be honest, because... This is going to be interesting to you because when I founded it, it was in secret. Like, I did not literally want to come out and tell people that I'm struggling with my identity as a cover girl. I did not want to tell people that I was trying to empower my community by having this secret closed platform on Facebook for women to come in and share their fears and concerns. I was scared from people to judge me. I was scared that people would, you know, say, oh, look at her. Like, you know, she's just wearing it because she has to. Oh, now she's oppressed. But now, five years later, you know, we have literally, like, collaborated with the biggest brand in the world, Facebook. Nike's on board. Nike provided us with our T-shirts. Nobody's actually embarrassed of Surviving Jab when I used to be embarrassed of it. We're, we're discussing it on, like, a global setting. Like, you know, we're with Cliff Bar, it's the Boston Marathon. Like, for me, even when, when you gave me a shout out today, I was in tears. You know, I was like, oh my God, he mentioned surviving hijab. And I was telling um, Will, I was like, you know, the first thing he mentioned was surviving hijab. Like, normally people talk about the marathons first or the mountains. But for me, this is my baby. Um, if it wasn't for surviving hijab, I wouldn't have collaborated with Nike. I wouldn't have, you know, like, when I collaborated with Nike, it obviously changed my life because now I have a bigger purpose. People look up to me. They're expecting me to perform. They're expecting me to do more. And yes, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of pressure, but I'm accountable. I did not grow up with a Muslim iconic figure to you know, give me the kind of strength that I wanted. And then now all these little girls, the teenagers, who look up to me and they're not scared of their culture. You know, they go and do crazy things. Like they skydive and they're like, yeah, I skydived in my hijab. I'm like, good on you. Like, do more. Just don't kill yourself, you know? So I just feel like very proud of where we are as, as a community, recognized by the world's major brands, if you want. Um, and everybody just wants to give us more power. I'm, I'm very proud of that. Then comes, of course, you know, my, my running career. Um, 
I mean, like, like yesterday, like I said, picking up my bib, I cried. I've never cried picking up my bib because being in, in Boston, it's, it's every runner's dream. And I really wanted to embrace that. Like, when things get tough, you know, during, you know, your 26.2, remember that you're running the greatest marathon in the world, you know? Like, you're gonna be inspiring so many people to, like, get out there, even run their first mile or fifth mile or whatnot. What are, what are your goals now, besides the six major marathons? Okay, so I'm know. turning 40, uh, Brooke knows this. I'm turning 40 in October, which is crap. Like, I didn't know how this happened. Um, I was hoping to get married before I'm 40. Like, it used to be before 30. And then like the 30s just like, woo, you know, you just like went really fast. So I was hoping to meet someone this year. Um, no, but on a, on a serious level, I, I do want to start a family at some point. Okay. I, don't, I, I don't know how to do that. I can't be on like all these uh, dating apps because I'm slightly famous. So put it out there. We're not going to your... get into the details on how to start a family <laughs> here. All right. We can move past that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I'm hoping to like, you know, start a family at some point. Um, my mountaineering uh, got on hold this year, but it's all for the, a very good reason. So I also want to finish all the World 7 Summits. So I've done Kilimanjaro and Elbrus, you missed that. So Sorry. Elbrus is the highest in Europe. I hope to finish also the, the five, maybe before I'm 45. Um, so, and that's about it really. Okay. I'm curious. So much info I know, but no, whatever. I love it. Uh, three takeaways that you've learned from your experience with surviving job or as an endurance athlete or mountaineering that applies to our broader audience? Okay, um, I thought about this. So I have three um, like life lessons uh, that I thought of. First of all, people need to realize that no matter what happens, when adversity hits, you need to be your own hero. Nobody's going to be there to save you. Like, fine, you know, even if you're with a partner or, you know, with a family, you need to get yourself out of this crisis or out of this adversity and just make it work because at the end of the day nobody will save you except yourself and i'm saying that based on so many times when you know i needed people to help me and i would like go search you know right left and center but then i realized no wait a second if i just you know take a breather and focus on what i want and how i'm gonna get there it's gonna work so be your own hero is the number one lesson number two you will meet a lot of naysayers around you. Like, I bet you anything, when you told people you're running a marathon as a football, like, bulky sort of figure, you're going to be like, you're hey. going to lose all your muscles. Yeah, I know. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. you're going to be like, yeah, but you're going to be like this and that. Um, you need to find a way to overcome the naysayers because if you are small inside your head, the naysayers will take over and they will win. So if I had listened to every single person who thought I was crazy, whether because, so I'm gonna tell you a, a very interesting story. When I was 19 and I moved back to Egypt for uni, I used to run around, you know, the block. Little kids used to walk, like run after me and make fun of me because running was not in our culture at all. And I had a Walkman, do you remember a Walkman? You're 27, oh, you'll yeah. not remember a Walkman. No, I do, I do. Really? Yeah. Okay, so I had a Walkman and I'd turn up the music so loud to drown what they're saying because I didn't want to be made fun of. Because I thought that, you know, I'm running to run. I was in track and field team. Why are you making fun of me? Like, this is my home country. Imagine the 19-year-old girl giving in to these little boys and girls who ran after me, making fun of me, stayed at home and did nothing. Imagine how that would have affected me. So try to find a way to block 
all these naysayers and people who make you feel little or small or belittle your dreams or even ideas. For with surviving hijab, you know how many people can tell me they're like, people are gonna think you're a terrorist, take it down. People are not gonna like want to work with you because of the hijab word and surviving, change it to anything else and keep, I'm like, I'm not changing anything about it. I was told once, I swear to God, by a very prominent figure in my community to shut it down because it will prevent sponsors from helping me reach my goals. And I was like, I'm not doing that. Like if sponsors don't believe in me, I don't want to work with the sponsors. And look at me now, I'm with Cliff Bar in Boston today, Nike's on board, North Face sponsored our gear for the um, Everest Base Camp. Um, last but not least, as a human, we all need to believe in karma and we always need to do a lot of good in the world. And you know, there's this saying that says, um, how people treat you is their karma, how you react is yours. There were so many times when people were mean to me and if I had, you know, reciprocated that and been mean to them, it would have been just like, you know, blown up into like something even bigger. But I would always take, you know, the negativity and try to turn it into something positive and then all the goodness will end up coming. And this is like confirmed, it's like by research and everything. Continue doing good, continue doing good, continue doing good. Good intentions always, always, always. Karma. That's great. Last question. What is your favorite football team? Liverpool because it's Mo Salah. I told See, you this. I know. I yeah, know, that's, we're yeah, not talking about not the same. Rugby. We're not talking about the same sport. No, oh. it's not rugby. I'm talking about American football. American so, football. Anyway, what is uh, it? <laughs> your your team. Yeah. You told me the name, right? Redskins. Yes, Redskins. 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 All right. I watch Red Sox with this one. Yeah. yeah again, a, a, a completely different sport. I know. Yeah. It's, I know okay. it's like softball. I played softball okay. back in school. All right. Hey, Manal, I feel like we could all learn something from you and uh, you. everything you've accomplished and your resolve in doing so. So I appreciate the time that Thank you've you. given me sitting down here today. Appreciate Cliff Barr for providing this booth and this space where we Thank can talk. You, and uh, thank you to Boston Marathon. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Can, can we also give a shout out to Back on My Feet and Terrence over there? Give a this shout out. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, the, the reason why I'm technically here is, is because of this man right okay. there. Yeah. Awesome. So, so he believed in me without having even met me or even heard my voice. He just believed in this random Egyptian girl who dropped him an email. And he just believed in me. And he said, call me. Very New Yorker style. Call me. And I called him. And yesterday I was like, what made you believe in me so much? And he said, your ability to follow through. I was like, oh, well, I had to, right? Like, I had an opportunity to get into New York, and I could. And he is one of the most amazing human beings I've ever met in my whole life. Like, I wish I could say it louder and higher so that the whole world learns about this amazing man. Really. Can you, can you, I love you, Terrence. Can you fill me in on what the mission of Back on Your Feet is? So Back on My Feet is an American-based uh, charity, which basically helps Americans and non-Americans who are based in the U.S. get back on their feet. So runners will run for Back on My Feet to raise funds for this charity, gotcha. and then the charity will give this money to the poor and the homeless in the United States to get back on their feet and find jobs. Love that. So how amazing is that? That's and change their lives, literally. So we're doing something that we love, then we're giving them back their lives, literally. That's great. Yeah, and, and this man heads the New York um, charter of it, and I've run New York with them, and I've run Chicago, and I wanted to run Boston with them as well, but then he gave me clip bar, so. 
Thank you, Terrence. Love All right. You. Hey, thanks again, Manel. Thank you so much for having me. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you found today's interview valuable, there are a lot of ways you can support it. You can review it on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you happen to listen to it. You can also share it with your friends on social media, blogs, or on your own podcast. And please head over to my website at www.andrewdeast.com for more information and to request your favorite celebrity, entrepreneur, athlete, or anyone else who inspires you. Feel free to connect with me directly on Instagram and Twitter at Andrew D. East. And thank you again. We hope to see you next time on Redirected.